Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and today I'll once again be speaking with Jawad Baya. Jawad is the Associate Director for Clinical Pastoral Education at Penn Medicine Princeton Health. And today, Jawad and I will be discussing how mental health clinicians can best work with the Muslim population. Jawad also discusses why it's important for clinicians to avoid spiritual bypassing when working with clients. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast and find it helpful. So Jawad, another thing I know that you've written an article for us about in the past is just how to appropriately work with the Muslim population uh, in mental health. So I guess I'm wondering if we can just talk about that a little bit and sort of what considerations you think clinicians should have when working with this population. This is fundamental to how I provide spiritual care and also how I teach it. Mm -hmm. And and this is premise that you'll be familiar with, uh, which is like all others, we're like some others, and we're like no other. And so say that one more time. We're like all others. We're like all others. We're like some others. We're like some others. And we're like no other. And we're like no other. Oh, okay. And so then, whether it's however we think of our clinical professions, and and when we then use that within our my particular line of you know vocation or work that'll take its own form for me and that'll mm-hmm. likely take its own form for clinicians like your like yourself and other mm-hmm. of your colleagues the therapists psychiatrists so on and so forth is that that this is just meant to help us it's more of an orientation thing mm-hmm. if we're feeling somewhat you know hyperconscious or worried like am i going to get this wrong or uh, like apprehension so, yeah, apprehension, just some concern. Mm-hmm. Like, am I going to get this right? Oh, I've never really had a, a Muslim client before. I wonder if I'm going to, what this is going to be like. I say this like all others, like some others and like no other, so that you, so that the clinician doesn't participate in spiritual bypass. Mm. The, the, I find for my work and study and then also my interactions is that what the risk is, is spiritual bypassing. That the moment a Muslim or any person of any religious background begins talking religious talk and it gets around things that might be, uh, mm. you know, where, cause I, I found in my, in my readings that therapists often are trying to separate out as much as possible, what they themselves seem to understand to be religion, spirituality from therapy work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's more apprehension around making sure that they keep them separate. Now, there's thinkers like Irvin Yalom. They're, they're trying to break some of that mold. But there's also other works like Spirit in Session, who's a psychotherapist, but he's trying to bring um, spirituality into it, who really is trying to engage that. So mm-hmm. this is why I'm saying like all others, like some others and like no other, so that we don't we can avoid doing spiritual bypassing, that the moment that a Muslim might talk about their own religious things or that we don't necessarily engage them we just let it ride even though it could be really worthwhile to ask them tell me more about the meaning of Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. oh is this what you mean kind of a thing and try to engage in that deep that that close experience with them so when you brought up that term spiritual bypass i guess my mind immediately went to like maybe clinicians do this because of their own discomfort is that kind of how you view it or is it is there more to it than that that's one way to say it 
it's just it's it's hard because it's kind of like who's the one that's doing it is it mm-hmm. the, the the patient or is it the, or the client or is it the the caregiver right and it could be both ways it's mm-hmm. just it's just like if it's brought up they bring up something related to a, a place a space of suffering or heart, or a challenge and a, a place that could be worth exploring and we just let it slide out of concern or out of some apprehension or some own discomfort, then that's, it's not saying to them, to the patient, if they are bringing up spirituality or religious, like for the Muslim, right? Like, like I'm bringing, they're bringing up the term Allah or meaning that's mm-hmm. the Arabic word for God mm-hmm. or, you know, the role my, my prayer has in this. And of course, or they start using like Arabic terminology, like Alhamdulillah, meaning all thanks be to God, things like this as a mm-hmm. way to not, like if if I mention if you mention to the person, for instance, that sounds like it was a really challenging time, and they say Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, you know, you know, all thanks be to God. That's mm-hmm. that's a translation for it, or something like this. And if we allow them to just say that in a way, and and not like follow up with it, tell me what that means there, uh, or something of that nature, then that could be in a very simple way participating in spiritual bypass mm-hmm. in that way, and and not letting them really get. Or at least helping them get into that space of healing, mm-hmm. and this isn't this doesn't mean not being sensitive. It just means we're like all others, like some others, and like no others. There might be so that might mean that that the the practitioner themselves needs to get in touch with their own engagement with religion and spirituality, so that they themselves don't participate in that. In other words, they could see like, oh yeah, people in my own community do the same thing, and they say, yeah, praise Jesus, right? You know, when right, something totally. hard comes up, right? That, that's how we're like all others, like some others and like no other. We're just trying to get in touch with that to realize, oh, okay, this is not something necessarily something special for Muslims or right. whichever religious population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually that's, I was struggling at the beginning of this because I was trying to think of a way to ask you this question and also make this point at the same time, which is like, do I think that there are maybe certain considerations we should take when working with Muslim popu- the Muslim population? Sure, just like I do when you're working with any religion. And I think that's like a, a pretty small piece to the puzzle in terms of like what that means in terms of how different the care that you would be providing would be. Yeah. Um, I And I could be wrong about that, but... I guess, let me just tell you what sort of my own personal, I guess, credo is when it comes to working with someone who's a different religion uh, than I am. And Mm -hmm. you can tell me what you think of this. Um, And feel free to be as harsh and critical as as you possibly can. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But essentially, I, I just try to own it when I don't necessarily know something and I come add it with a, a sense of curiosity in terms of the things that I'm not sure about. And then I'm open with the patients about like, Oh, you know, I actually really, I don't know much about that. Can you tell me more about that? What that means to you and just inform me so that I know like what that means to you. Um, but I think really mm-hmm. just having sort of a curious mindset when it comes to what I don't know about and being open about it is basically how I come at these things. And I don't know, what do you think of that? Is that the way it should be? Or should I be doing something different? Uh, I, yeah, thinking about the word should, 
<laughs> but yeah, I think your curiosity is probably your best friend mm-hmm. when working with anyone. And mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is that when it comes to any like practice that's like religious, like like let's say the fast of Ramadan, like they'll talk mm-hmm. about that. So what if they brought it up? You you still want to know what it means for them, what the impact is having on their life. And sure. that's going to be the thing that varies. Now, there is something to be said about like particular contextual things that um, you might might just want to know, just like generally speaking, to kind mm-hmm. of frame your thought process around some of the language and stuff like that. And you could do some readings on that. Like the, but mm-hmm. that's kind of be, that's going to be something that you would do for any, maybe if you're having to read up on some, your DSM five manual. I mean, like we, we do all those things regularly. It's like, it's a continuing education. Yes, thing. absolutely. And so there are going to be some particularities, but you know, the thing with working with Muslims is that, yes, it's not, they're not a monolith. And I actually find that the culture, meaning like the ethnic background, their cultural background that they were raised within and they, that they've navigated, that's probably really relevant to the conversation in terms of Islam in general throughout the world mm. that I find that when being in America, there's probably, they say estimates say six to 10 million Muslims um, are, are in the States. And so then these are not, these are folks that are coming, especially since the, what was it, the immigration act was passed in 1967. Prior to that, many of the Muslims were African American um, because, you know, there was no immigration that was really allowed here. That mm. was it. And so since then, you know, we have, you know, African-American, you know, Muslims, and we also have, um, you know, people like myself, Afghan from Afghanistan, Afghan, mm-hmm. American, Pakistani, American, Indian, American, Arab, American, meaning like Lebanese, American or mm-hmm. Iraqi, American, you know, you have, um, you know, Indonesian, American, Malaysian, American, like I'm, I'm naming places where there's a lot of Muslim, right. Uh, focus and like Turkish, American, you know, Nigerian American, Egyptian American, all of that. They're now here in the States. And now it's become like this experience of the way that they engage their Islam related to family values, how they interact with that. That's really what I think is what's happening within Mm. the room. That's what they're bringing in there. Mm -hmm. And that's the part where you get curious about because people, you can go and read really easily about people, you know, the fasting habits and like, like how, when when does fasting begin? You know, right. for the month of Ramadan, those are like rules. You're, you can like really read them, but the person in the room themselves brings a richness. Mm. And so, you know, what you are talking about curiosity, you know, that allows it to bring in a lot. But that's also something to note that for many Muslims, or just like any many immigrant communities, or just any probably a minority, because they're living amongst difference more often, they're probably going to be aware of their difference a lot more. So they may likely be thinking about their difference. Mm-hmm. And that experience of trying to integrate is probably more on their mind than your typical Euro-American. Sure. And I think actually, to be honest with you, that's sort of the sense I got from your article when I read it was just, it almost to me read more as like how to appropriately work with an immigrant population than the Muslim population necessarily. And I think a lot of that sort of speaks to what you were just talking about in terms of, and I don't know why this is where my mind goes, but just like 
how conservative they are with their religion their and their religious beliefs and their religious practices and sort of taking that into account when it comes to working with someone. Yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely noticed a lot of parallels between not only, you know, working with the Muslim population in the article that you wrote, but just working with immigrants in general. And I think some of that's informed from my own lived experience. Mm, mm-hmm. So, you know, that's going to impact a lot of that. I mean, in our, in my community, my, my, my own religious community that I, you know, participate in, we had, there was a family member who uh, we're talking about like mental illness and mental health, you know, kind of dynamics, for instance, who had, uh, who had, uh, uh, took their own life, you know, and they died mm. by suicide mm. and it was, it struck, it struck the community and they were, and, were, and they were just like, what just happened? And you could see the reverberations of this, like, like shock. And also like, well, how does Islam now also deal with this as they're mm-hmm. working through all these feelings? Sure. And as 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 you know, we, you know the funeral prayers are all done and things like that and, and a few months from there we have programming related to mental health and islam for instance mm. and you're going to see it like this right it's like it can be somewhat reactionary mm-hmm. but some other more you know how do you say it en- engaged com- uh, like muslim mosques communities mm-hmm. may already be engaging with this this awareness and like how there's Right. You know, how like Muslims, you know, just like any other people in this country or in this world are not immune from mental illness Mm -hmm. and and, mental health conditions. And they're being, but some places that are more, you know, monocultural, some communities, it's kind of when some, something terrible happens where attention will come, but at least the attention does come. And from there, some awareness was built about like how it's okay to get help, that there's nothing inherently wrong as a Muslim. To receive help, you know, right, and then right. they'll draw, they'll draw inspiration from the Islamic tradition to the Prophet Muhammad, and how there's like a hadith that says, or a saying of the Prophet that says, that there is no illness that uh, God has created or that is created that that God has not also created its uh, treatment, mm-hmm. uh, and so this kind of tells people that like trying to normalize it. Now, the stigma itself, I believe isn't necessarily rooted in a religious tradition per se. It's how the religion is used yes. because it can be used for, for, mm-hmm. for, for well, for wellness or for, for goodness or for ill or for, for bad, <laughs> uh, bad, you know, so to speak. And that's actually yeah. anything that's politics, that's food, Absolutely. that's yoga. Yeah. And, you know, and <laughs> that's not specific to Islam either. That's every religion is the same. Yeah. In that sense, I feel, you know, that's how I feel about it. Um, well, there's a lot of there's a lot of research to support that anyways. Mm, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's out there. You can read. Um, well, there's I can mention article books if we want to. But yeah, go ahead. The point is that like any. Yeah, like there's like uh, just like when we're just talking about like um, Karen Armstrong has this book called um, Fields of Blood. And it just captures mm-hmm. a lot of this dynamic and this tension related to that question of is is a religion inherently violent or not mm. and it goes through all the religious traditions the thing is that it's when i think about religion in a way we can make anything really a religion you can make your exercise routine a mm. religion in the sense of trying to like be seriously guided by that experience in your in your lifestyle right and so mm. it's about how it's used and so i think that's what i was connecting to earlier that mm-hmm. when we're talking about stigma and shame that I can find verses in scripture that support and also can be used in a way where 
it's going to be against them in a way. It's just, I don't find that as useful. I think the, the most of religious sentiment is to find, help find an Islamic sentiment is to help guide the, the believer or the Muslim or whomever towards wholeness mm-hmm. and towards closeness with their, with their God, like in Islam, you know, seeking nearness to God. Mm-hmm. And, and if we say spirituality is about our relationships, you know, not getting treatment is probably going to keep you in disconnection if it's related. Totally. to. So this is the way that we then can enter into this conversation. And so like the stigma often is from experiences of shame, you know, other kind of maybe systemic structures within various, you know, of the communities worldwide. Mm-hmm. And like, it's something that we, we do struggle with. I don't know how much we say that, but like, you know, shame, I, I believe it's like in, even in Brene Brown's work that shame is part of the human condition. Like that's like a feeling that's there. And like, it's not something like that master emotion. We can't just like wish it away. It's kind mm-hmm. of like about our resiliency related to this experience. And so I take a very human, like compassionate approach to how this happens because the alternative is to what live and hate about how it's all happening or whatnot. I'm kind of uh, meandering a bit right now, but no, it's okay. I'm not, I'm not doing a great job of setting this up because I basically said at the beginning, like, yeah, Muslims are just like everybody else. So how can we work with Muslims specifically? Like it just, I'm, I'm basically being the king of like contradiction right now. Cause I want to ask you more about like how to work specifically with the, the Muslim population. And I'm also saying like, well, I, you know, it, it's not much different well, here's than the thing. with anybody else. Who's, who's no, 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 but no, no, no. You see, that's the, that is the point. Mm-hmm. It's about the tension, the paradox of the treatment mm-hmm. that if we can hold the fact that, yes, these are human beings and we're like all others, like some others are like no other that'll lower one's anxiety and allow us to be in a state of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, <laughs> it's useful to note some, some structural aspects of what kind of organizes the Muslim life, but I'm not going to expect someone to go get like a, a master of divinity like I do and have mm-hmm. that to be able to inform them. You can just find out information that that's particular to your, to your patients. But you know, there, there are some like, like maybe reading a bit about, about the structure, the history might inform you. So if they do bring it up, you know, you what they might say, like what you gave an example, they might bring up something you get curious about it. Mm-hmm. The thing then is you can just continue that curiosity to learn a little bit more mm-hmm. about it. That That's just how that works. But yeah, a few things is to establish rapport with them. Right. You want to establish that rapport, enter their narrative, try to understand right what's going on and so that your treatment can be more in line with that. Also, if they do bring in some of this like concern about Islamophobia, if you can show that mm. you're you're kind of in this. You see, the thing is, they're, they're, if they're in the room with you, they're more likely than not going to be OK with the treatment because they, they're already they've already done half, probably half of it. They showed up. Yeah, right. But there might be some reservation already. Like, is it okay? Like, how much are they going to maybe, if I'm a Muslim woman who wears a headscarf, are they going to mm. say that I'm, I'm, I'm oppressed? Mm-hmm. Are they believing mm-hmm. that? Right, right. You know? And so, like, that's kind of, that's some of the, that could be some of the suspicions that they might carry. They might not. But if you enter their narrative or establish rapport, that'll help um, alleviate some of that for them and probably put you, put, the clinician at ease as well. Just the thing that that has me thinking is like, you sort of have to be aware as a clinician of your own um, judgments, your own perspective in terms of 
like what does wearing a headscarf mean do you are you coming at that from the perspective that oh she's oppressed in some way where maybe you know it's just important to her to wear it and part of her religion part of her culture and she loves wearing it so i i think what you're highlighting here is um just being aware of like your own beliefs your own values um yeah and your own perspective and our assumptions yeah Yeah, yeah. right i mean i mean part of like western society is your american liberal values that we sometimes take for granted until we meet someone of of a different value value system in a way and it it rubs and like we carry that around especially like in you know the field of social work and social justice we want Mm -hmm. the best for everyone Mm -hmm. and and sometimes we get we might get there but the process of getting there was a little different from within different religious communities and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, but that's nothing that's, that's relatable that, that experience. And mm-hmm. it's not going to be any different for, for things like, like that, that seem very visible, like mm-hmm. wearing an out, uh, you know, garb. And so, you know, part of it is just the way you said, taking inventory, right. About that. And so that's, that's part of it. I mean, we can ask about the values, you know, like I mentioned that, like making use of the curiosity, you just brought up like examining your own perspective. Muslim patients may worry about being judged based on their beliefs, appearance, or gender modesty norms. Mm-hmm. So a, a provider's reflection on their own cultural sensitivity is important to ensure you know that kind of accepting atmosphere. And then like also the role of family. And that, this is not to say all Muslims are doing this, but in many immigrant kind of in in the, in the experience of immigration, sometimes there's multi generational households. Mm-hmm. And so the role of family will probably play a, a role of what's happening in the room as well. So again, I mean, in, in some ways, I think this is sort of something that we should be doing with all clients anyway. Like you really want to know how all of your clients interact with their family and, and what their family dynamic is like. And maybe this comes with its own little twist to it, but Again, this is almost strikes me as something that, you know, you really should be doing anyway. And the same thing comes with like being curious and um, examining your own judgments and your own beliefs, because it's all it's all in service of the patient, whether they're Muslim or not. Yeah. So, I mean, Ibu Patel has this triangle that he talks about. He's, he's like in a forefront of like interfaith kind of relations and like okay. development. And he talks about how we develop our attitudes based off of relationship and knowledge and our ability to kind of engage alongside difference is based off of that our attitude and so that's pretty much it and the thing with muslims is that like there will be a particular questions that come up like what do you think about this or that and then you know you, you do consultation it's good to have some someone like in mm-hmm. your corner or like maybe another muslim kind of clinician or provider that can help make sense of some things. I mean, you don't have to be a, an Islamic scholar to be, I think this is not about that. It's just right. not, like, we're not trying to get towards that. Part mm-hmm. of it is you, you know, your expertise, you know, your work and that premise of trying to meet the patient where they are, that's going to be something you're going to carry into that. Mm-hmm. And with Muslim patients, there might just be a little bit more emphasis on like family religion expressed through culture the rituals that we do, like fasting, for instance, is going to have like, it's my impact treatment because it, it, you're not drinking or eating things uh, during daylight hours. And is it possible for them to do that? And they might be carrying some guilt if they can't do that, especially if they're not going to be able to do it with their family. Sure, sure. You see, you see, like, this is like the, 
this is the, the the gradients that it takes. No, that makes total sense. They may go make their once in a lifetime pilgrimage to Mecca, mm-hmm. and that's a huge undertaking, huge, and it's very expensive. Yeah, yeah, and and that's going to really take a lot out of them. But they're going to be coming back as a different person, likely in all likelihood. Mm-hmm. And for you to have an appreciation of that is major, because I don't, I don't, I mean, pilgrimage that's structural that people do all once in a lifetime. It's not really, I haven't seen any, I'm doing my doctorate work, my dissertation on this right now. Mm. And it's really a, a unique phenomenon in a way because it's, it's a structured time and place in the calendar year where millions go at the same time doing similar r- rituals at the same time. And it's, 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 it's huge. Like everyone's coming from different parts of the globe mm-hmm. and it's a rather, it's unique in this way. So it's good for you to have an appreciation of this because your patient will go and do that. So that's like the gradients it takes.